Hello, thank you for visiting the podcast of the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you haven't already, feel free to visit our audio archive at vineyardcampbellsville.org or subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. And now here is this week's message brought to you by Senior Pastor Adam Russell. What up, everybody? Hey, 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 happy Sunday. Woohoo! Everybody good? Everybody good? Good. Glad you're here. My name is Adam. I'm the pastor of the Vineyard. And um, man, just glad to be with you guys. Uh, before we hop into our near, new series, I uh, want to say a couple things. Uh, number one, wasn't Church at the Lake great? Man, so flipping good. Um, look, a lot of what a pastor has to do is terrible. Uh, but there are some days that make up for all of it. And when you get to baptize people, it's just the best. It's just the best. And it was awesome. And, and some of the people we baptized last week, I mean, if you guys just knew their story, if there was some way to like tell the story before we baptized them, I, you know, without it taking a million years, but it was just amazing. So that was really, really good. And um, also, also, uh, I don't know if you guys noticed, but man, my boy played drums this morning. <laughs> I, look, I don't care. Like, I don't care if he is my boy. He's good. He's real good. He's real good. And I, I, I'll be honest with you. It has less to do with DNA and probably has more to do with he's got a great teacher. Uh, you know, if you want to do something great, you better be taught by somebody great. And Matt Nall is the man, you know. Yeah, so there's a million parables in there. It's actually a bit of the gospel. And um, we could go further, but we won't. We're going to start a new series. And I'm very excited about it. It's called Knowing Jesus. We're going to spend six weeks in 1 John. So if you want to, open up your Bibles to 1 John. It's a small text, but it packs a big punch. Heather and I were talking this week. We could actually preach probably 200 sermons from 1 John. And we're going to do six. So what I'm going to tell you is right up front, you're not going to get the full download that there is to get. And in order to sort of mine into that deeper, I really, really want to invite you into making this text your reading for the next six weeks. Like, don't even go anywhere else in the Bible. Uh, most people read too far. Like, just, like, let's just meditate. Let's ruminate. Let's, let's do that thing that cows do when they get some grass in their, and they just, they just keep chewing on it and they ruminate it. They, you know, it goes into one stomach, it comes back up, chew on that some more. Let's get all the nutrients out. Can we do that? Yeah. Let's do that. Like, just for the next six weeks as the vineyard, what are we going to be reading? First John. That's what we're going to read. We're, we're going to dig deep. We're going to dig deep. Uh, There's amazing, amazing stuff for us here. And we're calling this series Knowing Jesus. We're calling it that because, to me, this is one of the main themes that runs all the way through the text of 1 John. This is about knowing Jesus. How do you know if somebody knows Jesus? How do you know if you know Jesus? John's going to lay it out for us. Over and over again. Here's what I want to do at the beginning here. I want to read to you the first chapter of 1 John. Can we do that? That'd be all right. 1 John. There's only 10 verses in the first chapter. So we'll read them all. It starts like this. We proclaim to you the one who existed from the beginning, whom we have heard and seen. We saw him with our own eyes and we touched him with our hands. He is the word of life. Talk about Jesus here. This is the one who is life itself was revealed to us and we have seen him 
And now we testify and proclaim to you that he is the one who is eternal life. He was with the Father, and then he was revealed to us. And we proclaim to you what we have ourselves actually seen and heard so that you may have fellowship with us. I don't know if you guys understand this or not. Like, there's only one thing that would bring this room of people together. And especially if you mix this room of people with the room of people that will be here next service. Especially next service is crazy. (laughs) There's only one thing that would give us fellowship, and it's Jesus. It's right here in the text. Uh, There's not a basketball game. uh, There's not a sporting event. uh, There's not a Taylor Swift concert that will bring this diversity that we have here together. There's only one thing that will, and it's Jesus. And our fellowship is with the Father and the Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things so that you may fully share our joy. Going right along. This is the message we have heard from Jesus and now declare to you. God is light, and there is no darkness in him at all. So we are lying if we say we have fellowship with God, but go on living in spiritual darkness. We are not practicing the truth. But if we are living in the light as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other, and the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we claim to have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. But if we confess our sins to Him, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. If we claim we have not sinned, we are calling God a liar and showing that his word has no place in our hearts. First few verses of 1 John. Awesome. Well, I want to call this message this morning, Coming Out of the Shadows. A few months ago, I preached to you a message out of 1 John chapter 1, and we mostly hung out in the first few, chap- first few verses. But this morning, I want to hang out on this second slide, basically verse 5. And following, and I want to talk to you about coming out of the shadows. I want to talk to you about living in the light. Living in the light. That's what I really want to highlight this morning. And I'll start with this. How many of you, how many of you here have ever uh, been in a really dark room or been in a really dark environment? Or maybe, maybe you just woke up from sleeping. Or maybe you watched a really long movie in a theater. And then you suddenly walked outside and the sun was shining. And there wasn't a cloud anywhere and you just, you were sort of overcome with the brightness of it all. Anybody experienced that? Yeah. Or, or maybe, you, maybe you were in the hotel lobby. And, and the hotel lobby seemed bright. But when you walked out on the beach, you could hardly open your eyes because there was so much light. Not just light in the sky, but the light that like refracts off of the sand back up into your face. How many of you ever experienced that? You know what I mean? Yeah. And this summer, uh, this summer, my family and I, we went to Pensacola, which... We almost always do. We almost always go to Pensacola, at least for a few days every single summer. And when the kids and I got there, we were really excited. And so the kids threw on their swim trunks before we were really even unpacked. And they jetted out of the lobby, out of this hotel lobby. And they went past the pools and went straight for the ocean. And I was sort of on kid duty at that moment. And I forgot my sunglasses. And no matter how much I squinted, I just couldn't get comfortable. It was, it was literally that bright. That's how bright it is in Pensacola. There's not a cloud in the sky. It was one of those beautiful days. No, no clouds, blue sky, bright sun straight overhead. And, and I don't know if you've been to Pensacola or not before, but Pensacola has these white sandy beaches. And the sand actually 
intensifies the light that's there. And so I just couldn't get comfortable. And so I spent the first five minutes with one eye closed and the other one squinting. I looked like I just had a stroke. The left side of my face was dead. And for as uncomfortable as it was, I didn't go, I, I didn't, I didn't go back in to get my sunglasses because the sun on my body felt better than the uncomfortableness of standing in such bright light. Does that make sense? Like it just felt good. Like my eyes actually hurt, but my body felt so good. It felt so good. It felt so good to just be standing next to the ocean. And it, and it felt great to have all that radiant heat embracing our exposed bodies. It felt so good to stand there in undiluted light. It's funny how you can live in Kentucky and it's the same sun that hangs over your head in Kentucky that hangs over your head in Florida, but it's different. There's something about a beach in Florida. It's, it's undiluted light. And when you take your shirt off and you put on your shorter shorts and you go and stand by the ocean and you're in unfiltered, undiluted light, as uncomfortable as it might be to your eyes, it feels so good in your body, you, you, just, you just stay there. And then eventually my eyes adjusted and what was at first painful was now fully enjoyable and it wasn't even like I was thinking about the sun at all anymore. Maggie and River were in, in the ocean. Rowan was digging in the sand. Seth was boogie boarding. And I was just standing there taking it all in. And this is sort of what John is saying when he says that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. God is unfiltered, undiluted, beach sun falling upon naked eyes. At first it's a little bit uncomfortable. It takes some getting used to. But we should consider this for a moment. We should consider this for a moment. We should consider the fact that God is light and in Him there is no darkness at all. Part of what that means is this. It means that God is knowable. And He's knowable because He stands out against the darkness of the world and He stands out against the darkness of humanity. In some ways, it's just so obvious. It's just so obvious. And so when people, when people say they're unsure about God. I, I, I do sympathize with that. When people say they're unsure about God, when people say they're unsure about Jesus, I, I, I sympathize with them. I, I understand some of why they're saying that. A lot of it has to do with the way that Christians have been. A lot of it has to do with the way that church has been. But let me assure you of one thing. Let me assure you of one thing. Even when people say they're unsure of God, they're really not. They're really not. Here's the thing. Even this morning, there's sort of a famous atheist. His name is Richard Dawkins. Anybody heard of Richard Dawkins? It's really sort of fun. I follow Richard Dawkins on Twitter. He's not really a happy person. But I just follow him on Twitter because I want to stay in contact with that world. And what was the first thing that Richard Dawkins tweeted this morning? The very first thing that Richard Dawkins tweets on a Sunday morning is something about God, which I found to be profoundly ironic. Someone who has given his life to a certain worldview, uh, someone who's given his life to espousing uh, modern atheism, a, a person who's given his life to attacking God, the one thing that he cannot quit talking about is the God he says he doesn't believe in. <laughs> God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. And against this, the stark 
bleakness of, of, of the universe at a certain level and against the stark bleakness of, of, of people and humanity, the one thing that shows up, even to people who supposedly don't believe in him, the thing that is always on our lips, even if we believe, even if we're, if we're devout, even if we're unbelievers, and even if we're doubters, is God himself. I think this is supremely ironic. Supremely ironic. Now, when we say that God stands out against the darkness of the world, what I do not mean is that God is against the world or against people. It's quite the contrary. God is for people. God loves the world. Uh, Sure, there are things that are not aligned the way they should be, and sure, there are things that he's not in love with, but the the againstness that I'm talking about is one of, uh, that's primarily of contrast. In a world where things are going primarily in one direction, in a world where things are being positioned in this way or that way, in a world where darkness rules, there is God, and God is always going the other direction, positioned another way, without any darkness, He is light Himself. This means that God is seeable and God is knowable. It also means that by Him we see everything else for what it really is, including ourselves. So when it says that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all, this means that God is seeable and is knowable. But if he is ultimate light, then by him we see everything else, including ourselves. Does this make sense? It reminds me of the great quote from C.S. Lewis. This is what Lewis said. He says, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun is risen, not only because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. I believe that Lewis was riffing on 1 John. And so what does it mean to know Jesus? What does it mean to know Jesus? Well, part of what it means to know Jesus is this. It means to step into the light. It means to step into undiluted, unfiltered light. And what is light? Well, well, this is light. Let Let me frame it like this for you. The world says, be good to those who are good to you. Maybe you've heard this before. And the world says, you get what you deserve. And the world says that life is about winners and losers. And the world says that, it, that, that, that life is about getting power and then keeping it by any means necessary. But Jesus says this, love your enemies. And Jesus says, give your tunic and your cloak. And Jesus says, go two miles and not just one. And if you're poor in spirit and if you're humble and if you're broken, you're actually blessed. And if you live your life working for peace, you end up a son of God. And if you're meek... If you're meek, if it's easy to run over you, you're actually going to inherit the earth. And even when an arrogant, braggart billionaire is leading in the polls, do not be fooled. The true winners are those with quiet, humble hearts. And by the way, no one ever says this stuff. The only person who says this kind of stuff is Jesus. I've read all the texts. I've had had in my hands all kinds of texts from all different parts of the world. The only person who ever says this kind of stuff is Jesus. The only person who says this kind of stuff is Jesus. This is the light of God coming into the world. This is either truth or it's comedy. That's why Jesus is the most talked about. He's the most written about. He's the most debated. He's the most engaging. He's the most recognizable across every single culture. The most influential person in all of history. In fact, the person who divides history is Jesus himself. Why? He is the light of God. We can see him. We can know him. And by him, we know everything else. We not only see him, but we see the rest of the world. Knowing Jesus means that we begin to see sin for what it really is. We start to see hate and division for what they really are. Hate and division are usually just different names for fear. 
And we don't just see the ugly stuff either. We could camp out there for a while, but we won't. We also see the goodness. Knowing, knowing Jesus means that we've come into the light of God's Son and we're finally able to discern what is really good. It's a bummer for me that the church is mostly known for what we're against. I think that's lame. It's a bummer for me that most Christians have finely honed rhetoric of againstness. Like we can articulate the things we're against so well and we do it mostly on Facebook. Alienating the very people that Jesus wants to bring in. Every time you go on a rant, you're actually alienating people that God wants to bring in. You can believe things without saying them. You can believe things without saying them. It's a bummer for me that the church is mostly known for what we're against. I believe that part of what God wants to do is he wants to, he wants to renew the church in such a way that the church becomes known all around the world for beauty and for our ability to articulate what is truly good. So John says we're lying if we say we have fellowship with God but go on living in spiritual darkness. Verse 6. This brings up another aspect of knowing Jesus. It's, it's never a matter of, of, of words. Knowing Jesus is never simply, never ever simply a matter of words. Notice that in verse 1 that John says that he has heard and that he has seen. It, it's not that hearing is invalid, but in God's kingdom, whatever our knowledge of God is, it never stays with just hearing and it never stays with just words. It always has to break into the seeing, touchable, tangible, knowable, experienceable plane. If we have a faith that is merely intellectual, we don't have true kingdom faith. It has to be something that you can lay your hands on. In God's kingdom, hearing should lead to seeing. One of the things that we need as a church is we need to begin to be a church that not only has something to say, but something to show. This is, this is, this is man, this is where the money comes out. This is where the rubber hits the road. Don't, don't just listen to what I'm saying. Watch what I'm doing. Watch what I'm doing. Uh, and by that, uh, none of us in here should ever be fooled by uh, someone who talks really, really well. Part of discernment is not just hearing what's being said, but it is the wisdom that comes from being able to look and see what is actually there. Knowing Jesus is never, ever just a matter of words. And when it comes to living in the light and when it comes to knowing God, we've got to keep our ears open, but we've we, we got to be able to look for something that's seeable and knowable. I love that when John says, if you have fellowship, but you walk, if you have fellowship with God, if you say you have fellowship with God, but you walk with, you walk in darkness, you're lying. And, and then I love this last little tag. He says, and you're not practicing the truth. See, you can say one thing, but do another. There's a kind of hypocrisy. And it's the thing that drives the world crazy about the church. We've got a decent message, but our doing kind of is lame sometimes. And John says, you're not practicing the truth. I think if you got your Bible out this morning, I want you to underline that little, that little phrase there. Not practicing the truth. Not practicing the truth. The truth of the world, the light of God, the truth of Jesus. This is really important. The truth that John is talking about here 
is not simply a truth that can stay in the, the realm of ideas and intellect. Real truth, real truth is not something we simply discuss. Real truth always invites the one who hears it to practice it. John says, hey, if you, if you say this, but you live another way, you're not practicing the truth. The kingdom truth, the truth of Jesus, who Jesus really is, is not just a message we hear. It is a life that we embody and we begin to practice. But real truth seekers always have some dirt underneath their fingernails from laying their hands on it and, and putting, them, putting their, their bodies to the task. The, the light of God is not sterile. The light of God is not sterile. It is sweaty. And if we're practicing, we might be weak at first. Let me tell you something. If you take seriously Jesus' words and you take them as not merely intellectual ideas to assent to, to either agree with or not agree with, if you take it to be a practice and a way of life, your fingernails will be dirty, your body will be sweaty, and you will enter into a life that is not easy, that is in some ways quite difficult. And I know some of us are thinking, well, this doesn't sound like grace. Oh, yes, it does. Yes, it does. Grace is not always what's easy. Sometimes it's what's difficult, but God gives you the power to do something difficult. And so what happens is truth has to leave the realm of simply ideas. Uh, the modern Western world has tried to define truth as simply uh, logic, as simply something that lives in our minds. Uh, the, the gospel is uh, truth is something that we can lay our hands on because truth is ultimately a person. And it's not a person who is not here. It's a person who is here. This is part of the mystery of the incarnation. Jesus is not a disembodied spirit. He is a person. And he's a person that you can actually touch. Jesus is in heaven right now with a body. Truth is a person. Truth is touchable. Truth is knowable. And then related out from that, Jesus' kingdom is filled with the kind of truth that you have to give yourself to. And it's doable. You don't really know anything until you've tried it. You can have the entire Bible memorized and you still don't know anything until you've tried it. I love what I love. I love I love what Eugene Peterson says. When we come to the text, when we come to the text, the real question is not what does it mean? The real question is what can I obey? And so the light of God is not sterile. It, it, it's sweaty, and it might be hard at first. And if you try to live like Jesus, and it's difficult at first, you shouldn't get. You should not get discouraged. I understand being discouraged. You shouldn't get discouraged. You should get encouraged. It means you're on the right track. Struggle and weakness are not signs that the light and life of God are not working. They're probably signs that you're on the right track. See, here's the thing: Jesus' life not always easy. Forgiveness is not always easy. How many of you all have ever had to forgive someone? It ain't easy. And if it comes easy, it's probably not real forgiveness. Like if you were really hurt and then you decide to forgive, if that's a real, real easy process, it probably wasn't real forgiveness. It's hard. How many of you understand that the forgiveness that got, that got released into the world, that makes you and I sons and daughters of God, that that wasn't easy? That was difficult. It cost Jesus his life. Yeah, it's sweaty. It's bloody. It's a flipping mess. It's like awful. It's... But this is the way of God. Does this make sense? This is the light of God. So sometimes we're like, well, the light of God is what's, what's easy. And 
The light of God is mostly an idea. The light of God is a philosophy. The light of God is not a philosophy. It is not an idea. It is not always easy. It is oftentimes difficult. It requires hands-on practice. It requires a willing heart. It requires leaning in to what Jesus is and who Jesus is. It's touchable, tangible. It's knowable. It's experienceable. Divorce it from that and you've got probably a best-selling book, but you don't have Christianity. (laughs) See, none of this is abstract. If we're living in the light, if we're truly the ones who know God, then we will not only have a real relationship with God, but we'll also have a real relationship with each other. I have great and I have terrible news for everyone in the room this morning. Getting Jesus means getting the whole world. including all the people who are in it. You can't go on and say you love God and hate your brother. That's what John says later on. You, you can't say you love God you don't see and hate the brother you do see. Uh, God so loved the world that he sent his own son, right? God so loved the world. Like, here's the deal. If you say yes to the son, you're saying yes to the world. I feel like I should say that again. If you say yes to the son, you're actually saying yes to the whole world. You can't let your love for the Son of God create in you the kind of heart that says, not you people. Not you people. That's, that's really not, that's not real Christianity. That never has been real Christianity. Real Christianity is arms wide open. It is, it is open. It is embraced. That's what real faith looks like. It's not us and them. It's, it's as Brian Zahn says, us for them. This is the essence of the faith. Uh, the one thing that makes Christianity truly unique in all the world is that it is, it is a coming together of all different kinds of people from the very beginning. That whole Pentecost thing, it's people who were far apart coming together. I mean, like for hundreds and for thousands of years, Jews did their own little thing and then there was everybody else. And then Jesus shows up and a few years later, it's Jews and Gentiles together. And by the way, th- this, this commingling of streams... Like we, over, we read that in the text and we don't let the impact of what that really means hit us. This commingling of streams, this is the essence of the faith. If you put your trust in the Son, you're getting the whole world. We can no longer divide the world as us against them any longer. We have to live for them. And so if we're on the outs with people, we're really on the outs with God. And when we're in with God, we'll be in with people. No, this doesn't mean we'll all become extroverts and have sleepovers every night. (laughs) But it does mean this. It means you can't really walk in the light without meeting people along the way. Now, if you've been here at the Vineyard for years and you don't have any friends, I want to talk to you for a second. If you've been here at the Vineyard for years and you don't have any friends, something's up. Something profound is up. Um, if you've been here for years and you don't have any friends, something's up. Uh, probably there's something up with our church. I'm totally willing to admit that there's something up with our church. But there also might be something up with you. It might be your fears of rejection. Or it might be the unforgiveness that you just won't let, a, let go of. If you've become increasingly isolated in the last year, I bet, I, bet, I bet there's a root of unforgiveness. I bet. Or it might be something this simple. It might be, it might be your or my uh, crazy schedule. How many of you understand that our crazy schedules 
and in our desire to do the right things for our husbands, wife, and kids can actually lead to a kind of life that militates against uh, Christian love and fellowship and community and living in harmony with each other. Let me just put my hand up right there. We got three kids and they're all playing soccer. Two of them are playing travel ball and I haven't seen anybody, right? Yeah. See, walking in the light means reorienting a lot of things. And I want you to notice something here. I want you to notice that with all of them, all of them, the beginning is with us as individuals. Look at verse 7 and 8. But if we're living in the light as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. If we claim we have no sin, we're only fooling ourselves. This is, this is really important. Walking in the light always begins with me. It begins with me. See, most of us, me included, look to first blame others for our difficulties or our failures. But living in the light and knowing Jesus always first considers that it may be sin or blame shifting. The issues have to start with me. Look, look, John doesn't say if we're living in the light as God is in the light, then we'll have fellowship with each other and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. And if it's not going so well, it's probably because there's systemic uh, problems at the church you go to and it's all those other people who are fooling themselves and they're keeping you out. That's not what the text says. We have to wake up to the fact that it, that it may be something in me. And so I want to highlight what walking in the light means. It means at least three things. And I'm going to tell you right up front, these are not particularly cozy, but they're good. Not particularly cozy, but they're good. How many of you understand that if you're going up into the high, high mountains, uh, you, you don't want a pair of cozy Asics on your feet? If you're going to hike the Rocky Mountains, you want some thick leather boots. So we're going to put on, can, can I give you all some thick leather boots here for a second? Here's what walking in the light means. The first thing that walking in the light means is this. It means walking with integrity. It means more than just saying what's right. It means doing what's right. A conviction to walk in the light means a conviction to bring our actions and our words together. To bring our theology and our practice together. To bring, uh, to bring our rhetoric and uh, our reality together. Does that make sense? Like John says here, hey, if, if, you, if you say that you're in the light but you're still walking in darkness, dude, you're, you're out. Uh, and if you say you don't have sin, uh, you're actually calling God a liar and his word has no place in your heart. The first thing that walking in the light means is this. We're committed to some kind of like integrity with, with who we say Jesus is to us and what we really, really live. And I'm not saying that's easy. I'm just saying that's, that's what we're going to grab a hold of. Second thing that walking in the light means is this. Uh, no excuses. No excuses. John says... Some of us want to do this, me included. We want to make these arguments in verse 8, claiming that we have no sin, or verse 10, claiming that we have not sin. Uh, both of these are just another way of saying it isn't me. It's probably someone else. It's the system. It, well, here's the truth. It, it might be the system. Uh, and the truth is, it is often the system. And it might be others. And I can promise you this, some of your troubles are other people. Are other people. But here's what I can tell you that's even truer than that. It's really easy oftentimes to see in others what I'm blind to in myself. This is the, this is the essence of hypocrisy and it's the first step in becoming a Pharisee. 
See, being awake to something in others that I'm blind to in myself, man, that's the first step of walking in darkness, not walking in the light, and becoming a professional Pharisee. Jesus says, hey, before you go and deal with the speck in your brother's eye, take the log out of your own eye, right? This is, this is basic Jesus stuff. And by the way, Jesus, Jesus wants you to get the log out of your eye. Why does he want you to get the log out of your eye? So you can take the speck out of their eye. Jesus is not for anybody having anything in their eyes. How many of you understand that a lot of times you can't control other people? And a lot of times you can't control the system. And some of what's jacked up in your life might be some other people. And it might be the system. And and you might be disempowered in a way to do anything about it. But how many of you understand the one thing that we can always do something about is me? Walk in the light. It means no excuses. I'm not going to hold people to a higher standard than I hold myself. It's really basic stuff. And then the, the third thing. The third thing that walking in the light means is this. It means confession. We're going to go full Catholic here for a few minutes. Is that okay? Confession. He says, if we confess our sins, if we confess our sins, look at this. It's so good. If we confess our sins to him, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. Who who here would like to have a clean conscience? It's the best thing, isn't it? It's the best thing. A clean conscience is like, it's like Friday afternoon on a long weekend. It's like, I don't even have to go back on Monday. You know, it's just that feeling. You remember when you got out of school on a Friday afternoon and you know your mom had been to the grocery? And you had the whole weekend home. And not only that, but when you got home, the house was full of food. That's it. That's confession. And nothing's more countercultural, but it's... It's essential to walking in the light because, it, because confession brings us into reality. Confession means this, that you and I are actually willing to live and say things for what they really, really are. How many of you understand that Jesus cannot heal your fake life? He can only heal your real life. He can't heal your fake life. He can't heal your false self. He can only heal your real self. He can't heal your pretend self. He can't heal your masked self. Here's the thing. If there's something in your life you can't talk about, as Jack Deere says, it what? Owns you. It owns you. And until you talk about it, you won't get healed. How many of you understand this? You cannot heal yourself. No one can heal themselves. Everybody in this room has issues, and if they are untalked about issues, they will not go away. You can pray, you can fast, you can read the Bible, they will not go away. Can I tell you why counseling is really great for most people? Here's 90% of the power of all counseling, all inner healing, all going to therapy. 90% of all therapy power is confession. That's the power in it. Why? Because finally you became the kind of person who was brave enough to own it and say, you know what? I'm bitter. You know what? I'm, I'm addicted. You know what? This thing happened to me. And now this is where I'm at. This is, this is it. Jesus can't heal the fake life. He can only heal our real lives. And so a lack of confession... Or an unwillingness con- to confess means that at some level we're, we're living a divided life. Confession is standing in the light with squinting eyes. 
Imagine yourself out on that beach. Like you just got there. Like the light feels, there's something about the light that feels good, but man, it hurts your eyes so bad. That's confession. It's getting acclimated to a new way of seeing. It's getting acclimated to a new way of being. Uh, one where we're open and, and we're not hiding anymore. See, knowing Jesus is the not hiding life. Can I tell you guys something as a pastor? It's okay to not hide. It's okay. It's okay if some people here find out that you're a rotten, miserable person. Because the person you're sitting next to is a rotten, miserable person. <laughs> you know what I mean. I'm just sort of highlighting that in a real silly way. But it's okay if somebody here found out that you were really bitter. It's okay if somebody here found out that you're like really addicted. It's okay if somebody here found out that you've been hanging on to this or that. It's it, it, it's okay. Like like this is how this is how we get out. This is how we step into the light. And it's okay if you have to squint for a while. But man, you got we got to stop hiding. We got to stop hiding. Me too. A few weeks ago, I went to the Abbey at Gethsemane. It's like this. I highly recommend it. It's it's one of the treasures in Kentucky. It's called the Abbey at Gethsemane. It's it's um, it's a, uh, it's basically a monastery, and these monks, these Trappist monks, have been living there for 150 years, and they've been, they've been singing uh, the psalms, and they've been praying for 150 years. And by the way, they've been working their butts off. Okay, so prayer and work go together. I just want to say this unequivocally: <laughs> prayer and work go together. Uh, being a prayer person, being a worship person, and being a sweat in the garden person go together. The point of your life is never to avoid work. The point is to find the work that makes you alive and to pray with God along the way. Anyway, that's another sermon. But I'm going to get to preaching here in a minute. Um, but they've been, they've been singing the scriptures. And, and, the, and the, first, the first song is at 345 in the morning. They wake up and they come in. and you know I'm not Catholic, but most of the people who were there were Catholic. And I took this retreat or whatever. But, but I saw this little thing and it, on, on one of these doors, and it said, at least on this little schedule, and it said, every Tuesday from 4.30 to 5.30, they do reconciliation. And I didn't know what that was. And so I was like flipping through this little book in my little room. And I started reading. I'm like, oh my gosh, it's confession. That's what it is. I thought, well, I'm going to do this. So I show up. It's like in this chapel, you know. About a third of the size of this room. Maybe even a little less than that. third of the size of this room. And I went in. There was like this 75-year-old woman and this 84-year-old woman and this like 96-year-old man and me. Right? <clears throat> and then there's a side room over there where I guess there was a monk in there, right? And, and I, we're just sitting there. And I don't know what we're doing. I, I literally don't know what we're doing. They apparently know. So I'm just going to sit until somebody does something that I can imitate. <laughs> but while we're sitting there I, I became over I'm, I'm, I'm like I know why I'm here but then I begin to think what in the world do these people have to confess you know it's like grandma like there's <laughs> but this became instructive as well we never outgrow this stuff like even when you got gray hair and you're a grandma and the, all the kids love you and you got pockets full of candy you probably still need to go in and talk about your real life and not your fake life Anyway, 
it, it got to be my turn. I went in. And, and I sat knee to knee with this Trappist monk. We, our knees touched. And we looked eye to eye. And I said, um, brother, I'm not a Catholic. So I don't know if I'm even allowed to be here. <laughs> That's my first confession. <laughs> and, he, and he put his hands on my shoulders. And he put his hands on my shoulders. And he just said, tell me the whole truth. And so I told him the whole truth. I told him stuff that I haven't, I don't know that I've told anyone. Ever. And then this is what he told me. This is wonderful, by the way. He said, Jesus died for the sins of the world, including those. It was like Friday. I left there and it was like, it was Tuesday, but it was like Friday. It was wonderful. How many of you know it's really good to walk in the light? It's really good to walk in the light. Like everybody here needs a confessor. See, here's the good news. The good news is not that we should confess. The good news is that he will forgive. The good news is, the truth is, he has already forgiven. It's it's already forgiven. We sometimes have a hard time laying hold of the already forgivenness until we're able to get into the reality of who we are. So confession is a great step. Jesus is a forgiver. He's a cleanser. He washes. Jesus is the one who, who, who kisses lepers. You know? The guys who are like, they're totally dirty. I mean, that, that whole miracle in Mark with the leper guy is probably my favorite miracle. No, probably water to wine is my favorite. But my second favorite <laughs> miracle is the leper guy. Gotta be. That gotta be. Man, that, that, miracle, that miracle is more than, it's more than, it's more than a miracle that says Jesus is like God because he heals people. It's way more than that. It, I mean, it's, it includes that. But that miracle is really about that God has come and the dirtiest, most outcast person with all of his troubles on the outside where you can see them, the Son of God is the one who touches and embraces them. Now, I know the Bible doesn't say that he kissed him, but when I read that passage, I imagine that the Son of God kissed him. Because I know in my own life, when my leprosy has been out here like this, the only thing I've ever experienced from the Son of God is not just an embrace, but I've experienced the kiss of the Father. It's wonderful news. It's wonderful news. And so I've rewritten Mark chapter 1, verse 40. He doesn't just touch him. He, 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 Jesus also embraces and kisses him. I, I, mix, I mix Mark chapter 1 with, with, with the gospel of Luke and the prodigal. That, that, they go together. It's the same Jesus. See, we have no reason to fear. Fear is just one more lie that the light of God is going to untie. Nobody in here has any reason to fear. I don't care what you're into. I don't care what you've done. There may be some things you need to set right. There may be some things you need to set right. Confession doesn't mean you don't have to set things right or or that you don't have to clean up your mess. But confession means that God will go with you. Confession means that the ultimate retribution 
that you feel like was coming your way is actually not coming your way. That the help of God, the helper, the spirit is going to come alongside and he's going to help you. He's going to make you a new kind of person. So much good news. Woo. Woo. Hey, so we're going to do something we've never done before at the vineyard. Uh, and we're not going to do it now because too many of us would be freaked out. <laughs> Here's what we're going to do. We've never done this before, but I want you to put this on your calendar. And uh, you might like it or you might not. I don't know. But Saturday morning, October 17th at 10 a.m., we're going to have confession here at the vineyard. Anybody who wants to come can. I'm probably going to have five or six people who are like actual pastors who don't get freaked out when people tell the truth. I'm going to have five or six other pastors who are like that here with me. And you can come in and we're going to take, we're, going to, we're just going to take confession. And, and by the way, it's not a, it, will, it will not be a counseling session. There will be no advice given. Well, there will only be the mercy of God extended. That's it. So you put that on your calendar, Saturday morning, 10 a.m., October 17th. You show up, you will be embraced, and there won't be any judgment. Is that cool? cool. I think it's cool. I don't know. I think it's cool. Hey, if you're on the ministry team, why don't you come up this morning? We will transition this meeting. I... I Yeah, come on, thank you. See, we're professional here at the vineyard. Yeah. Hey, and if you guys want, you can stand up. I want to pray here. And then give everybody an opportunity to respond as well. God, we just say that you are light and there's no darkness in you at all. And God, we say that we want to walk in the light. We want to be light people. God, we ask that you would begin to shine your unfiltered, undiluted light into this room. Onto our lives. Onto our naked skin, God. We ask that we would be overcome with the brightness of your goodness. And God, in the name of Jesus, I just take authority over all the fear that keeps us a hiding, a, a secluded and unopened people. Thanks, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We just love you. We just love you. You're just wonderful. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Hey, if you need to respond to this message this morning in any way, you come on up. We've got some people who want to pray for you. Also, if you are sick in your body and you need prayer, we want to pray for you. If you've never walked with Jesus and you would like to, come up and these people will pray for you. Otherwise, give somebody a high five and a hug. The Mass is in to go in peace. Thank you again for stopping by the podcast at the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you'd like to keep up with what's happening here at the Vineyard, you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Until next time, peace to you.